We have reached the second part of chapter 12. So this chapter is called Knowing, Emptiness and the Radiant Mind. And we now reached uh, the emptiness section. Emptiness. We now come to the quality of emptiness. Firstly, it is of some significance to note that although the adjectival noun sunyata, emptiness, is used in the Theravada scriptures, it is far outweighed in representation there by its humble cousin, the adjective sunya, meaning empty. Though the ta at the end of a, a Pali word means ness, so sunya means empty, sunyata, emptiness. Uh, anicca means impermanent, anicca means impermanence, uh, uh, dukkha means uh, unsatisfactory. Dukkata means unsatisfactoriness. So the ta, the t, the long a at the end of a Pali word, it, it turns it into a um, uh, what you, you can call an adjectival noun. <clears throat> so uh, what we're saying here is that sunyata uh, is the the adjectival noun, uh, emptiness. But uh, far more common in the scriptures is the word sunya, just meaning empty, the, the adjective itself. In later northern Buddhist traditions, Shunyata took on not only a central position in the teachings on liberation, for example, in the Prajnaparamita Sutras, the Heart Sutra and the Vajra Sutra, and the Middle Way, as in Nagarjuna's Majjhimika philosophy, uniting emptiness and causality, but it also took on the attributes of some kind of quasi-mystical substance or realm, not intentionally, or doctrinally even, but more through a subtle and unconscious reification. It became a something that is a nothing, that was then worshipped and deified as a universal panacea. So I mentioned this kind of, um, sort of drift, I think, yesterday and in previous times, where <coughs> we, we talk about something, <laughs> and even though uh, emptiness is uh, is basically in the in Pali scriptures in particular is describing an absence, then um, you get in the the northern Buddhist scriptures um, and in the general field of uh, of the uh, uh, Vajrayana Mahayana uh, world, then emptiness becomes this kind of special stuff, this sort of kind of super substance that dispels all difficulty and. Uh, and is a sort of agent of, of uh, transformation. So it's not that doctrinally, it's not like some sort of Buddhist fairy dust that you sort of sprinkle onto things and make everything all right. Um, but it, come, it can come across like that. It's just, you know, as long as there's uh, emptiness is recognized, then uh, the, the, the path is, is fulfilled and so on. So it becomes um, uh, <coughs> a sort of... Uh, what they call reified, the word uh, re, uh, res is the R-E-S, is the Latin for a thing. So to reify is to uh, create uh, a, a thing, to make something into a, a thing, to make it solid, to make it uh, real or tangible. So um, <clears throat> to say so you can, uh, we had the idea of holding another Sangha meeting here, uh, but it, it took a lot of discussion to reify it, to make it something that's actually going to happen. Um, so that's what the, the reification, R-E-I, uh, to, to make something uh, real or to, to bring it into being.
<clears throat> so it became it became a something that is a nothing that was then worshipped and deified as a universal panacea so that it becomes this kind of like like also like a kind of fairy dust this sort of magical substance almost substance <laughs> that uh, that fixes everything and uh, again it's not a it's not doctrinally um that it, uh, that's the case but it's the in the sort of drift of thinking and conversation and the way that that shunyata is um Sort of held in the generally in the in the group mind. Does that make sense? Okay, good. <clears throat> this is not to say that all such teachings on emptiness are by any means false or useless. Not at all. It is just to say that, like any verbal formulation of Dhamma, if grasped wrongly, they can obstruct rather than aid progress on the path. If the concept of emptiness is understood and used as a skillful means, an upaya, uh, it is clearly seen that it could not be any kind of thing in itself. Any tendency to incline the attitude in that direction would thus be seen as falling wide of the mark. So um, if we use uh, emptiness uh, and the empty quality of things as a, as a very consciously as a skillful means, then it won't be misunderstood. And similarly, um, we've had a, a lot of uh, references to misunderstanding or say how the, the Buddha um, very, uh, just like the last couple of readings, the, the Buddha was very, very clear about not talking about what happens to an enlightened being after the death of the body, like where do they go? And he wouldn't say anything. Um, and or, or just talking about Nibbana as the, the fulfillment of the spiritual life so a lot of people misunderstood his teachings as a kind of nihilistic philosophy that he was a life negator as this wonderful pali word bunohuno which means a wrecker of being one who destroys is kind of anti-life a sort of an annihilationist a wrecker of being bunohuno and it's probably very insulting like the kind of um brahmins would use that as a sort of a, a kind of uh, an attack word but the Buddha was quite say, you know, quite happy to say, yes, well, in certain ways I am. <laughs> in certain ways I'm not. You know? And uh, there's, a, I forget which sutra it is, maybe Sister Kamika will remember. <laughs> there's, there's one particular sutta where the Buddha is, uh, is they give a, a whole long series of insults, you know, kind of pointing the finger at him and saying, you know, you're a, <clears throat> you're a, a, a nihilist, you're a destroyer of being, you're a you're a, a, um, a, a, a kind of um, a heretic, you're a, uh, um, a, a destroyer of social good, and such and such and such, through, a, uh, I think, about eight or ten different in insults and, and uh, attacks that they make on him. And each one, he very patiently says, well, there are some ways that's true, and some ways that's not true. And the way that it's true is, and he takes each particular term and kind of just reshapes it and explains it. And uh, there's this. Uh, I'll track it down for the for the next reading. But it's it's a uh, it's a one of the great instances of the Buddha's tremendous coolness in his um, uh, conversation. He's they're trying to intimidate him and put him on the spot and attack him. And he just um, he kind of keeps receiving all their insults and saying, "Well, yes, in a way that's true, you know, <laughs> but it's true like this, but it's not true like that. Yeah, it's not true in the way that you're thinking, but it's true like this." And uh, this extraordinarily deft and um, and thoughtful way that he he responds. So um, that um, 
with that kind of capacity to misunderstand things in in mind, then uh, using the teachings on emptiness and you know, guarding the mind against sort of making it into some kind of a special super thing which is a nothing, then uh, it's it's a totally valid approach to to uh, teachings and practice. So the first of the um, uh, passages, uh, the quotations, comes from Ajahn Buddha Dasa's wonderful book on uh, the Buddha's teachings on emptiness called Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree. And there's uh, a number of copies of that in the library. And so it's a very accessible <coughs> and thorough um, summary of the Buddha's teachings about emptiness. The sound is empty, right? The, so this is a heartwood from the Bodhi tree by Ajahn Buddha Dasa. If a person were to say that sunyata is a material element, his or her friends would die laughing. Some people would say that it's an immaterial or formless element, and here the noble ones, the Arya, would die laughing. Voidness is neither a material nor an immaterial element, but is a third kind of element that lies beyond the ken of ordinary people. The Buddha called it quenching element, or cessation element, niroda dhatu. The words material element, vatu dhatu, or form element, rupa dhatu, refer to materiality in visible forms, sounds, odors, tastes, or tactile objects. Formless element, arupa dhatu, refers to the mind and heart, to mental processes, and to the thoughts and experiences that arise in the mind. There is only one kind of element not included in these two categories, an element that is the complete antithesis and annihilation of them all. Consequently, the Buddha sometimes called it coolness element, nibbana dhatu, sometimes quenching element, niroda dhatu, and sometimes deathless element, amata dhatu. So I, I highly recommend this uh, uh, book of Ajahn Buddha Dasa's, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's worth. It's not not huge. It's a, um, a fairly small book, but it it brings together many many of the Pali teachings on the uh, of the Buddha on emptiness, and also he's a very very good explainer of the teachings. And uh, Ajahn Santikaro uh, was the translator, so um, it's a uh, it's all it's very readable, accessible, and quite thorough. In the Pali scriptures, sunya simply means empty. It describes the quality of absence, an absence contained within a particular defining form, rather than, than some kind of absolute value. So you can say, um, like this, uh, uh, this, this glass has uh, <coughs> got some water in it, and but uh, the, some of the uh, the glass doesn't have water in it. Some of it's it's empty of water, but the the empty the empty part of the glass depends on there being a glass, right? That's what makes that bit the, the top bit of the glass empty. So if you didn't have the glass, the word empty wouldn't have any meaning in relationship to this particular spot of space in the um, in the silence so that <clears throat> that's what it what I mean to say by it's an absence contained within a particular defining form so you can say um, the morning room is empty there's no there's no people in there at the moment 
that the, the room at the end of the sala is called the morning room. And so <clears throat> you'd say, that, that, uh, that is empty, you're using that particular space, what we call the morning room, that's the, the boundaries, we say, that is empty, it's empty of, of people at the moment. So that when you use the, the word empty, sunya, it's implying and bringing with it the framework for that, the, 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 the space that has, uh, <coughs> you know, the, um, uh, the framework, the space that is the, 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 uh, the framework that contains it. Every space has its poetics. And I borrowed that term from Gaston Bachelard, the poetics of space is a wonderful phrase. The French philosopher Gaston Bachelard. Every space has its poetics. This personality is empty of self. This glass is empty of water. This room is empty of people. There is a definite voidness in some respects, but it is also shaped by its context. The pair of silences during the opening bars of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony are just silence. But the particular poetry of those silences is shaped by the notes before and after. So it's silent, right? That's just silence. But it's a particular shape. There's a poetry to that silence that comes because it's a, a particular... Uh, <coughs> silence that's in the middle of Beethoven, well, in the beginning of Beethoven's fifth. So that's what we mean by the poetics of space. That uh, the <coughs> you go into the temple, and then the the space that is there is defined by the building and uh, <coughs> the the shrine and so forth. But it, um, it's given that quality by the the framework that that uh, defines it. Does that make sense? That's very good. Without the glass, there would not be any emptiness. Without the other musical notes, those moments would not be silent. That is to say, the emptiness only exists in relationship to its vessel, whatever that may be, a personality, a glass, a room, a musical phrase. It's just a way of speaking about form and space using relative language. Thus, from the Theravada point of view, the concept of emptiness is quite prosaic, like quite down-to-earth, quite um, mundane. It lacks the intrinsic mystical quality imputed to it in some of the northern Buddhist scriptures. However, it becomes more meaningful in terms of liberation, as it's almost always used in the context of empty of self and the property of a self. If that absence is being apprehended, then the heart is certainly inclining to awakening the absence of, of self, of, of atta. If that's being apprehended, if that's being realized, then that means that the heart is inclining to, to liberation, awakening. Phrases such as, quote, enters into the signless concentration of mind, animita ceto samadhi, or I often abide in emptiness, the sunyata vihara, quote, unquote, are probably uh, the kind of sources for the later drifting of the meaning of emptiness or also in the, the uh, shorter discourse on emptiness that we'll read out in a moment, um, where the, uh, the Buddha, over and over again the Buddha uses the phrase, the, uh, thus Ananda, this too is his genuine, undistorted, pure entry into emptiness. 
Originally, these pointed to the realization of Nibbana through the contemplation of and concentration on qualities such as impermanence and selflessness and were not intended to be regarded as referring to some kind of mystical realm. Such drift is an almost inevitable product of the flow of myth-making that we humans tend to generate. However, the wise will look into this and not be drawn along with the current. Here are some of the central teachings on emptiness to be found in the Pali Canon. First of all, here is a passage where the Buddha is explicitly using the term empty to, re, uh, to mean empty of self. And this uh, first uh, reading then from the suttas comes from the Sanyutta um, Nikaya, <coughs> the Connected Discourses, and this is on the section about the six senses, section 35 uh, of the, uh, the Salyatanawaga of the Sanyutta Nikaya, Connected Discourses. Then the Venerable Ananda approached the Blessed One and said to him, Venerable Sir, it is said, the world is empty, the world is empty. In what way, Venerable Sir, is it said, the world is empty, the world is empty? And the Buddha responds, It is because it is empty of self and what belongs to a self that, quote, the world is empty, unquote, is said, Ananda. And what is empty of self and what belongs to a self? The I is empty of self and what belongs to a self. Forms, eye consciousness, eye contact, any feeling born of eye contact, whether pleasant, painful or neutral, is empty of self and what belongs to a self. The ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind is empty of self and what belongs to a self. So too, mental objects, mind consciousness, mind contact, and any feeling born of mind contact, whether pleasant, painful or neutral, is empty of self and what belongs to a self. Well, this is using the framework of the six senses and then all the different aspects of the, uh, the perceptual process, so the eye, the physical eye, and then visible forms, like you know, the clock or the book. Um, that's the eye, the form, and then the um, uh, eye consciousness. When the, uh, when the light from the form meets the eye, then eye consciousness arises, and that's called pasal, contact, eye contact. Um, the meeting of those three, the, the, the eye, the form, and the eye consciousness is called contact. And then any feeling born of eye contact, pleasant, painful, or neutral, all of that, the whole perceptual process, is empty of self and what belongs to self. So it's not me seeing, uh, me who, uh, who smells or feels or tastes or touches, uh, me who thinks, but that the whole perceptual process, uh, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, is all you know, empty of, of self and what belongs to self. So particularly the body, you know, with, so this is my body, but saying that you know, the body is as uh, and all the aspects of the perception of the body are empty of self and what belongs to a self. So that's one of the, the very clear instances where, you know, that, and that's generally what the Buddha means that uh, when he's uh, talking about emptiness. Sometimes it means the uh, material object is empty of intrinsic existence. We say uh, the, the book is empty or the kettle is, is empty of intrinsic existence. But the, the majority of the use of the term sunya, emptiness, is about empty of self. So it's very, very close to the teachings about not-self, on uh, you know, anatta. And, uh, and so they're, they're, they're very much um, they're woven into each other through the canon. So the next, uh, next uh, sutta is uh, quite involved. So any, any questions or thoughts, reflections? 
we carry on? Everything is perfectly clear? Is it a conditioned emptiness we're talking about then? Yes. Yeah. It's just a, it's, um, as I've been saying, it's a very mundane quality. In the Pali, that, that it's just like, in the, the, the uh, lesser, shorter discourse on emptiness, um, the Buddha starts off by saying, um, you can, uh, looking at this, uh, this particular hall, um, Ananda, just as this palace of Megara's mother is empty of elephants, cattle, horses and mares, empty of gold and silver, yeah, it's like there are no horses and cattle uh, and elephants here. You know, it's empty of that. So it's a it's a very uh, mundane, practical term. I think in the Mahayana, they would say that um, you have arising and ceasing, you have non-arising and ceasing. So emptiness in, in that context would be um, uh, non-arising and ceasing, not not an emptiness that was uh, conditioned. So even that is not true emptiness because um, you're still putting a tag on it, as it were. It's not inside, not outside. It just is. Yeah. So what? So what I'm saying is yeah. that in the majority of times in the Pali, it does. It's not meaning that kind of sort of esoteric aspect of emptiness. It's just saying there are no dragons in this glass of water. <laughs> there are no elephants in the sala at Amravati. It's, it's empty of elephants at the moment. But there's still a conditioned emptiness, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So that's where it would differ, would you think? That, that well, if if you uh, if you talk to many people from the from the northern tradition, there <coughs> they um, uh, people for various monastics I know from the Tibetan tradition that they have to and the Galukpas they have to study all these different texts and that they have a, a bewildering variety of emptinesses. Yeah. Like thirty, you know, there's some texts with like thirteen different kinds of emptiness. Other ones with twenty-eight different kinds of emptiness, and then they're all explained in in extraordinary detail about how one is specific. Um, so what I'm saying is that you don't um, uh, in the the Pali usage of the term, it's very tangible and simple. It's just, uh, and then the um, but it's in the main part talking about empty yourself and what belongs to yourself. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I remember when I was reading the uh, chapter on emptiness by Kina Nayon. Um, mm-hmm. She does mention, um, from her experience, there are many levels of emptiness. So, um, she doesn't explain mm-hmm. it, you know, but one can conclude oneself, you know, or from one's own experience. I don't know, but that's interesting. Yeah, well, the next sutta talks about um, it, it goes into various different kinds of of um, you know, emptiness, nothingness, signlessness, and boundlessness, and, uh, and so it talks about them in, in uh, it kind of goes into that a little bit. But I wanted to preface it, and the, the uh, and we when we were doing this chapter, Ajahn Pasana was like, well, "Let's keep it really simple." <laughs> He's a Canadian. Uh, and a very, very down, a particularly down-to-earth Canadian, and I think we we both spent enough time with around Tibet people from the Tibetan community in particular, and uh, and you know he would he come across have some of these conversations or he come across some of these texts and he go, <coughs> and he, he said let's 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 keep it really <coughs> strictly to the to the suttas and keep it really simple and straightforward and, and keep it practical. So that was part of the 
the ethic or the intent behind this this chapter rather than <coughs> trying to explain you know, 13 different kinds of emptiness or 28 kinds of emptiness or Chandrakirti's commentary on Vasubandhu's uh, you know, treatise on emptiness or whatever. I'm sorry. Um, the, the Sutta you were mentioning, which starts with you know, the palace is empty. The palace of Megara's mother is empty of elephants and horses. And then, then it goes on. Mm-hmm. And it's empty. Yeah, it becomes more and more refined. And yeah. so it's a part yeah. of practice. Uh, mm-hmm. So in, in that way, the, well, it's endless emptiness is because whatever is not there. But the Buddha points out yeah, it's like a successive dropping of of um, <coughs> the mind's attachment to to things. So it creates things and, and identifies with them, and it's like a dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. Anyway, we'll get onto that because we have the whole of that sutta we put in there in its entirety. So this next passage is um, <coughs> a dialogue between uh, a lay. Uh, Buddhist teacher, the uh, Chitta, the householder, and a monk called Godata, and it's in uh, section 41 of the um, Connected Discourses, which is the Chitta Sangita. It's a whole Chitta is this very wise uh, householder, lay person, and he has this whole section of the Connected Discourses that his particular teachings. The next sutta employs the word Sunya in the same way, as well as having many useful things to say about the various various forms of liberation. It's also significant in that it is one of the very rare suttas in the Pali Canon where a lay person gives teachings to a monastic. Extremely rare. <laughs> On one occasion, the Venerable Godatta was dwelling at Machikasanda in the wild mango grove. Then Chitta, the householder, approached the Venerable Godatta, paid homage to him and sat down to one side. The Venerable Godatta then said to him, as he was sitting to one side, Householder, the measureless liberation of mind, the liberation of mind by nothingness, the liberation of mind by emptiness, and the signless liberation of mind. Are these things different in meaning and also different in phrasing, or are they one in meaning and only different in phrasing? Just an average conversation, you know. (laughs) How are you doing? What's the weather like? Yeah. How's the new Kuti construction going? So, uh, <clears throat> so they launch right into this, this very profound dialogue. And so Chitta, the householder, then responds, There is a method, Venerable Sir, by which these things are different in meaning and also different in phrasing. And there is a method by which they are one in meaning and different only in phrasing. And what, Venerable Sir, is the method by which these things are different in meaning and also different in phrasing? So Chitta is then he's now explaining the, 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 these different um, aspects. Here a bhikkhu dwells pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. Likewise the second quarter, the third quarter and the fourth quarter, thus above, below, across and everywhere, and to all as to himself. He dwells pervading the entire world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, vast, exalted, measureless, without hostility, without ill will. So the astute amongst you will recognize that from our chanting, the abundant, exalted, immeasurable, uh, from the, the Brahma Vihara's chant. He dwells pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with compassion, uh, with a mind imbued with altruistic joy, with a mind imbued with equanimity, 
Likewise, the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter, thus above, below, across, and everywhere, and to all as to himself. He dwells <coughs> pervading the entire world with a mind imbued with equanimity, vast, exalted, measureless, without hostility, without ill will. This is called the measureless liberation of mind, appamana ceto vimuti. So, uh, ceto, ceto is the mind, vimuti, liberation, appamana is uh, measureless or, or uh, limitless. It's called the, the uh, four immeasurables. So the, that measurelessness is appamana. And what Venerable Sir is the liberation of mind by nothingness. Here, by completely transcending the base of the infinity of consciousness, aware that there is nothing, quote-unquote, a bhikkhu enters and dwells in the base of nothingness. This is called liberation of mind by nothingness. Akinchana chetovimuti. So I should just pause and say, uh, those kind, when it says liberation, that doesn't mean total enlightenment. It's, a, it's like a, um, uh, of a very wholesome and, uh, and uh, say, noble state of mind, but it's not a state of, um, of total enlightenment. So the, the word vimuti is not synonymous, like liberation is not synonymous with total enlightenment. So they're kinds, they're, they're kinds of liberation, but they are conditioned and, and impermanent, so that the mind can enter into those states, be absorbed into the Brahma-viharas, and in that state there, there is a quality of liberation, a vimuti, a freedom, but it's not uh, an irreversible uh, liberation, it's not a, 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 a total enlightenment. And what, Venerable Sir, is a liberation of mind by emptiness? Here, a bhikkhu gone to a forest or gone to the foot of a tree or to an empty hut reflects thus. Empty is this of self or of what belongs to a self. This is called liberation of mind by emptiness. Sunyata ceto vimuti. And what, Venerable Sir, is the signless liberation of mind? Here, with non-attention to all signs, a bhikkhu enters and dwells in the signless concentration of mind. This is called the signless liberation of mind, animita cetovimuti. So nimita is a sign or a symbol. So uh, when, say, in meditation, if uh, a, a mental image comes to mind, suddenly so you see a, a picture of the Buddha, or um, you, are, uh, you see a, um, <coughs> an image of a, a tree or a flag or something that arises, it's very clear, that's called a nimita. So people say, oh, there's a, a nimitta or a, an image arose in their meditation. But it just means a sign or a form. And so animitta means signless, like without form or without, uh, without shape. This honorable sir is the method by which these things are different in meaning and also different in phrasing. And what honorable sir is the method by which these things are one in meaning and different only in phrasing? Passion, Venerable Sir, is a maker of measurement. So passion, Raga, uh, Venerable Sir, is a maker of measurement. Hatred, Dosa, is a maker of measurement. Delusion, Moha, is a maker of measurement. For a bhikkhu whose heart is completely pure, these have been abandoned, cut off at the root, made like palm stumps, obliterated, so that they are no more subject to future arising. To whatever extent there are measureless liberations of mind... The unshakable liberation of mind is declared the chief among them, 
So the unshakable liberation is is synonymous with enlightenment. So that's like a liberation you, that can't be fallen away from. So it's called the uh, unshakable liberation of mind. Is declared to be the chief among them. Now that unshakable liberation of mind is empty of greed, empty of hatred, empty of delusion. Passion, venerable sir, is a something. So you had the apamana, measurelessness. So uh, pa passion is a maker of measurement. So you had the maker of measurement lined up with uh, measurelessness. So passion, venerable sir, is a something. So you have the something lined up against the uh, the meditation on nothingness, akinchana. Passion, venerable sir, is a something. Hatred is a something. Delusion is a something. For a bhikkhu whose heart is completely pure, these have been abandoned, cut off at the root, made like palm stumps, obliterated so that they are no more subject to future arising. To whatever extent there are liberations of mind by nothingness, the unshakable liberation of mind is declared the chief among them. Now that unshakable liberation of mind is empty of greed, empty of hatred, empty of delusion. Passion, venerable sir, is a maker of signs. Hatred is a maker of signs. Delusion is a maker of signs. For a bhikkhu whose heart is completely pure, these have been abandoned, cut off at the root, made like palm stumps, obliterated so that they are no more subject to future arising. To whatever extent there are signless liberations of mind, the unshakable liberation of mind is declared the chief among them. Now that unshakable liberation of mind is empty of greed, empty of hatred, empty of delusion. Now the astute amongst you will have noticed, what happened to emptiness? Anyone spot that? We went, with, we went straight from nothingness to signlessness. Nobody noticed? <laughs> that, was a, that was an absence that should have been noticeable. <laughs> that, was a, that was a nothing that was a something. And uh, I, I think there's a footnote in, the, uh, in Bhikkhu Bodhi's um, uh, edition of the middle-length discourses, uh, the, uh, sorry, the, um, the connected discourses that, that uh, points that out, whether it was on purpose that they sort of squished um, uh, the uh, liberations through emptiness and liberation through signlessness, they kind of put them together, or whether they just lost it in translation. Uh, a few hundred years ago, uh, that uh, there, there's some. I think there's a note on it, but it is it is missed out in the in the uh, Pali, uh, and so um, I'm sure somebody's written a whole PhD. Well, not I'm sure it's possible someone's <laughs> written a whole PhD on why precisely that has been left out. There's this deep significance of the absence of the emptiness, <laughs> like the blessed other cheesemakers, you know. That can, you can make a story out of anything. But I think it was probably just a few hundred years ago, somebody forgot to recite it, and that became the way it got remembered, and it got lost. Um. <clears throat> so uh, that's the way that those three, those four qualities, um, measurelessness, uh, nothingness, emptiness, and signlessness, they are the, 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 they're all the same insofar as if they are taken to their ultimate fulfillment um, and they're taken to uh, not just the conditioned liberation but they're taken to the um, all the way through to the unshakable liberation then they are equal insofar as they all are um, say uh, representing the, the enlightened mind which is free of greed, hatred and delusion and then Chitta finishes by saying this venerable sir 
is the method by which these things are one in meaning and different only in phrasing. And then uh, the, the Venerable Godata says, It is a gain for you, householder. It's a great gain for you that you have the eye of wisdom that ranges over the deep word of the Buddha. So praise the Chitta for his great wisdom. Any questions or thoughts on that? In this interpretation, the measureless liberation of mind is via the four divine abidings. Liberation of mind by nothingness refers to the third level of the formless jhanas, the, the arupa jhanas. The liberation of mind by emptiness is a concentration based on insight into the selfless nature of phenomena. The signless liberation of mind, the animita ceto samadhi, is harder to pinpoint in terms of, familiar of a familiar doctrinal category. However, its characteristics seem to align it with nipapancha, freedom from conceptual proliferation, and the quality of atamayata, which was uh, the whole of chapter 6 was about that, the non-fabricating faculty of the mind. It is that which is restraining the tendency to conceive the world in terms of fixed and separate names, forms and things, and which leads from there to liberation. The ancient commentary describes it as being super... Uh, so it, it describes the, the meditation on signlessness, uh, the ancient commentary describes it as being supramundane with Nibbana as its object. So the first three, uh, the, the liberation is mundane, but the, the fourth, the Animitta Samadhi, is, uh, according to the ancient commentary, that is, um, uh, it's a um, intrinsically liberating kind of practice. It's, a, a, it's, a, it's bound up with, with wisdom. And as it says, uh, it's a supramundane with Nibbana as its object. It is thus identified with arahantship. The first three, although exalted states, all pertain to the mundane level. Okay. Probably the most familiar statement in the scriptures concerning signless concentration, as well as its most poignant instance, was spoken by the Buddha a few months before the Parinibbana. <clears throat> so the Buddha is... Um, uh, Near this point is the beginning of the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, the discourse about the Buddha's last days, and uh, he's talking to Ananda. Ananda, I am now old, worn out, venerable, one who has traversed life's path. I have reached the term of life which is 80, 80 years old. Just as an old cart is made to go by being held together with straps, so that a targeter's body is, held, is kept going by being strapped up. It's only when the Tathagata withdraws his attention from outward signs and by the cessation of certain feelings and enters into the signless concentration of mind that his body knows comfort. So at the age of 80, the Buddha had chronic pain. And what this is saying is that the only way he could feel comfortable was to completely absorb his mind into uh, the, um, the animita samadhi, to so basically disengage from the sense world. Otherwise, he was in pain. So uh, this, is, this is a passage I quote re regularly to people who have chronic pain and and uh, uh, or complaining about their rheumatism or their sore back or or their painful knees. You say, well, the Buddha had chronic pain, yeah, and he he and if he was paying attention to his body, it hurt, but he knew how not to create suffering. 
So just because there's pain doesn't mean to say that the, the, the mind is creating suffering around it. So this is a very significant teaching, but then it also is talking about the animita cheto vimuti, so that the the mind disengaging from the um, from all you know, signs and constructs. So before we go on, I thought I would read a passage from uh, Lumpur Sumato's teachings. Um, since I, I realized that the dialogue between Chitta and uh, Godatta was probably, even though it was all about empty things, it's probably a little bit hard to digest. <laughs> so I thought I would read a, uh, a piece from one of Lumpur Sumato's teachings. So this is um, from a, a talk called Turning Towards Emptiness. This is the third volume of his collected teachings, his anthology of teachings. And this um, was, uh, let's see, originally in the book called The Way It Is, which was published in about 88 or 89 here at Amravati. Um, yeah, so this, this uh, uh, is the end of this uh, little Dhamma talk called the Turning Towards Emptiness. For practice, don't worry about the qualities that go through the mind. How wonderful, interesting, beautiful, ugly, nasty, or neutral they might be. We're not investigating qualities or denying the quality of any thought, but just noting the way it is. Then you leave it alone so that it ceases. You create a thought, deliberately put it into the mind and let it go. To let go doesn't mean you push it away. You leave the thought alone, though you're aware of it during the whole time. The moment before the thought, the interstices and the ending. So before the thought, as the thought is present, and then at the end. So this is, he's describing a kind of practice that he was teaching about how to, how to observe thought. So he would, the kind of um, instruction he'd give, um, which is very, very practical and helpful, take a, a very uh, simple and non-emotionally loaded statement, like today is Saturday. And uh, bringing the mind to uh, to quietness, let the mind be, be as quiet as possible, and then deliberately think the thought, today is Saturday. So you observe the silence before the thought, then you're there with the thought as it's being thunk, and then there with the silence after the thought has ended. So you take something, you're doing it deliberately, and you're taking something that's non-personal, like you don't, nobody owns Saturday. Usually there's not too much emotional involvement. Maybe your favorite football team is playing today. And they, oh, it's Saturday! Oh my goodness! What am I doing here? How can I leave the reading? Can I check the scores? Has someone got an iPhone? But most people you know, hanging out in monasteries are not emotionally connected to Saturdays. And um, so... It's a, a, a very simple and deliberate way of learning how to observe thought. So you take something benign, you do it deliberately, and, uh, <clears throat> and then watch. And then you go, oh, there's silence, and there's, this is Saturday, and there's silence. And so that you take, like, like with uh, learning how to ride a bicycle, have little training wheels so that you, you, le you learn how to balance slowly. So similarly, you use a, 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 a benign, non-personal thought to... Um, to learn how to watch thought, to observe thought without getting absorbed in it. If you take a, an emotionally loaded thought, or a very personal thought, like, I'm an awful person, 
then it's uh, it's very it's much more difficult to get that kind of objectivity. It just doesn't um, have that kind of clarity. But but if, as a training exercise, then this is the kind of thing Lumpur would suggest, and is a very very helpful way of um, developing mindfulness of thinking. Because you learn to do it with simple, non-personal thoughts, then you develop the skill of how to do it with personal and complicated thoughts as well. We don't notice the space around thought very much. It's just like the space in this room. I have to call your attention to it. What does it take to be aware of the space in this room? You have to be alert. With the objects in the room, you don't have to be alert. You can just be attracted or repelled. I don't like that. I like this. You can just react to the quality of beauty and ugliness, whether it pleases or displeases you. That's our habit. Our life tends to be reaction to pleasure and pain, beauty and ugliness. We see beauty and we say, ooh, look at that. Isn't it absolutely fantastic? Or we think, ooh, it's disgusting. But the beautiful objects and the ugly ones are all in space. And to notice space, you withdraw your attention from the beautiful and the ugly objects. Of course, they're still there. You don't need to throw them out. You don't have to tear down the building so that you can have space here. But if you don't concentrate on what's in that room with love or hate, if you don't make anything out of it, your attention withdraws from the objects and you notice the space. So we have a perspective on space in a room like this. You can reflect on that. Anyone can come and go in this space. The most beautiful, the most ugly, the saint, the sinner can come and go in this space. And the space is never harmed, ruined or destroyed by the objects that come and go in it. The mind works on the same principle. But if you're not used to seeing the spaciousness of your mind, you're not aware of the space that the mind really is. So you're unaware of the emptiness of the mind because you're always attached to an idea or an opinion or mood. With insight meditation, you're reflecting on the five khandhas, on the body, rupa, feelings, vedana, perception, sanya, mental formations, sankara, and sense consciousness, vijnana. We may want to get rid of them, but that's another condition, another sankara that we create, like wanting to get rid of. So we investigate them until they no longer delude us and allow them to cease in the empty mind. When you think, my body's still here, how does it cease? It's still here, isn't it? Consider that the body will live its lifespan. It has been born and it will disappear when its karmic force ends. What happened to Napoleon? What happened to the Queen of Sheba and to Confucius and Lao Tzu, Marie Antoinette, Beethoven and Bach? They're memories in our minds. They're just perceptions in people's minds now. But that's all they ever were anyway even when their bodies were alive. Venerable Sumato is a perception in the mind. In my mind, it's a perception. In your mind, it's a perception. Right now, the perception of it is, Venerable Sumato is alive and kicking. When the body dies, the perception changes to, Venerable Sumato is dead. That's all. The perception of death is there along with the name Sumato, where now it's alive and kicking. So as you experience it, the body is a perception that arises and ceases in the empty mind. With this realization of the empty mind, you can develop the Eightfold Path very skillfully. The Eightfold Path is based on right understanding, 
And that is the understanding of cessation. So that's uh, Turning Towards Emptiness, was the name of that talk. <laughs> Got musical accompaniment this evening. <laughs> So going back to the island, a similar if not identical grouping of types of liberation, vimoka, is to be found in the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification by Acharya Buddhaghosa, relating the manner in which each of the familiar three characteristics should be handled and the type of release resulting from that effort. So this is uh, from this, the Visuddhimagga, um, section 21. With great resolution, there is the contemplation of impermanence, anicitta. This leads to liberation through signlessness, animitta vimoka. With great tranquility, there is the contemplation of unsatisfactoriness. This leads to liberation through desirelessness, apannihitta vimoka. With great wisdom, there is the contemplation of selflessness. This leads to liberation through emptiness, sunyata vimoka. And this is one of those um, those little collections of teachings terms that uh, it can you can hear that just as one statement, but it could take a few weeks to sit on that and go, huh? How does that work? Or just to cognize what's being said there. So you have resolution, that's sort of determination, aditana. <clears throat> so you have resolution is connected to impermanence, anicca, and that results in the liberation through animitta vimoka. So you have a, a resolution, impermanence, and animitta. Then great tranquility, so pasadi, um, peacefulness. There is the contemplation of dukkha. So you have tranquility, pasadi, and dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. And that leads to liberation through desirelessness, apannihitta vimoka. And then the third one, wisdom. Uh, uh, uses the contemplation of selflessness, anatta, and that leads to uh, liberation through emptiness. So if you're interested to follow that up, this was here on page 201, but it's also in the Visuddhimagga, chapter 21, section 70. In contrast to the previous two discourses in this next one, which arguably forms the Buddha's most extensive teaching on emptiness in the Pali Canon, the term is used in a somewhat different way forming a nest of contemplations of ever-increasing subtlety, leading to the stopping of the outflows, the asava, and liberation. So this is the uh, Chula Sunyata Sutta, and this is Sutta number 121 in the Middle Link Discourses. So this is the whole of that Sutta. So I'll, um, <coughs> I'll read this all out and then say a few things about it. The Shorter Discourse on Emptiness Thus have I heard. On one occasion the Blessed One was living at Savati in the eastern park in the palace of Migara's mother. Then, when it was evening, the Venerable Ananda rose from meditation, went to the Blessed One, and after paying homage to him, he sat down on one side and said to the Blessed One, Venerable Sir, on one occasion the Blessed One was living in the Sakyan country at a town of the Sakyans called Nagaraka. There, Venerable Sir, I heard and learned this from the Blessed One's own lips. 
Now, Ananda, I often abide in emptiness. Sunyata Vihara. Did I hear that correctly, Venerable Sir? Did I learn that correctly? Attend to that correctly? Remember that correctly? So Ananda saying, you know, I, uh, I heard you say that when we were off staying in uh, Nagaraka. Naga, Nagaraka. And, uh, and he says, I, heard, I, I remember hearing you saying that. Was that correct? Certainly, Ananda, you heard that correctly, learned that correctly, attended to that correctly, remembered that correctly. As formerly, Ananda, so now, uh, to I, uh, so now too, I often abide in emptiness. Ananda, just as this palace of Megara's mother is empty of elephants, cattle, horses and mares, empty of gold and silver, empty of the assembly of men and women, and there is present only this non-emptiness, namely the singleness dependent on the Sangha of bhikkhus, so too a bhikkhu, not attending to the perception of village, not attending to the perception of people, attends to the singleness dependent on the perception of forest. His mind enters into that perception of forest and acquires confidence, steadiness and decision. He understands thus. Whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the perception of village, those are not present here. Whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the perception of people, those are not present here. There is present only this amount of disturbance, namely the singleness dependent on the perception of forest. Thus he regards it as empty of what is not there, but as to what remains there, he understands that which is present thus. This is present. Thus, <coughs> Ananda, this is his genuine, undistorted, pure entry into emptiness. Again, Ananda, a bhikkhu, not attending to the perception of people, not attending to the perception of forest, attends to the singleness dependent on the perception of earth. His mind enters into that perception of earth and acquires confidence, steadiness and decision. Just as a bull's hide, the skin of a, of a bull, becomes free from folds when it's fully stretched with a hundred pegs, so too, a bhikkhu, not attending to any of the ridges and hollows of this earth, to the rivers and ravines, the tracts of stumps and thorns, the mountains and uneven places, attends to the singleness dependent on the perception of earth. His mind enters into that perception of earth and acquires confidence, steadiness and decision. He understands thus, whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the perception of people, those are not present here. Whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the perception of forest, those are not present here. There is present here only this, this amount of disturbance, namely, the singleness dependent on the perception of earth. He understands, this field of perception is empty of the perception of people, this field of perception is empty of the perception of forest, there is present only this non-emptiness, namely, the singleness dependent on the perception of earth. Thus he regards it as empty of what is not there, but as to what remains, there he understands that which is present thus. This is present. Thus, Ananda, this too is his genuine, undistorted, pure entry into emptiness. Again, Ananda, a bhikkhu, not attending to the perception of forest, not attending to the perception of earth, attends to the singleness dependent on the perception of the base of infinite space. His mind enters into that perception of the base of infinite space and acquires confidence, steadiness and decision. He understands thus, whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the perception of forest, those are not present here. 
Whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the perception of earth. Those are not present here. There is present here only this amount of disturbance, namely the singleness dependent on the perception of the base of infinite space. He understands this field of perception is empty of the perception of forest. Field of perception is empty of the perception of earth. There is present only this non-emptiness, namely the singleness dependent on the perception of the base of infinite space. Thus he regards it as empty of what is not there, but as to what remains there, he understands that which is present thus. This is present. Thus Ananda, this too is his genuine, undistorted, pure entry into emptiness. Then so too with the other uh, Arupa jhanas, the basis of infinite consciousness, the base of nothingness, and then the base of neither perception nor non-perception. Those are the four Arupa jhanas. Again Ananda, a bhikkhu, not attending to the perception of the base of neither perception nor non-perception, attends to the singleness dependent on the signless concentration of mind, animita ceto samadhi. His mind enters into that signless concentration of mind and acquires confidence, steadiness and decision. He understands thus, whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the perception of the base of nothingness, those are not present here. Whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the perception of neither perception nor non-perception, those are not present here. There is present here only this amount of disturbance, namely, that connected with the six sense bases that are dependent on this body and conditioned by life. He understands this field of perception is empty of the perception of the base of nothingness, this field of perception is empty of the perception of the base of neither perception nor non-perception. There is present only this non-emptiness, namely, that connected with the six sense bases that are dependent on this body and conditioned by life. Thus he regards it as empty of what is not there, but as to what remains there, he understands that which is present thus. This is present. Thus Ananda, this too, is his genuine, undistorted, pure entry into emptiness. Again Ananda, a bhikkhu, attends to the singleness dependent on the signless concentration of mind. His mind enters into that signless concentration of mind and acquires confidence, steadiness and decision. He understands thus. The sinus concentration of mind is conditioned and volitionally produced. But whatever is conditioned and volitionally produced is impermanent, subject to cessation. When he knows and sees thus, his heart is liberated from the outflow of sensual desire, from the outflow of becoming, and from the outflow of ignorance. When it is liberated, there comes the knowledge, it is liberated. He understands, birth is ended, the holy life has been lived out, what had to be done has been done. There is no more coming into any state of being. He understands thus. Whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the outflow of sensual desire, those are not present here. Whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the outflow of becoming, those are not present here. Whatever disturbances there might be dependent on the outflow of ignorance, those are not present here. There is present here only this amount of disturbance, namely, that connected with the six sense bases that are dependent on this body and conditioned by life. He understands this field of perception is empty of the outflow of sensual desire, this field of perception is empty of the outflow of becoming, this field of perception is empty of the outflow of ignorance, there is present only this non-emptiness, namely that connected with the six sense bases that are dependent on this body and conditioned by life. Thus he regards it as empty of what is not there, but as to what remains there, he understands that which is present thus. 
This is present. Thus, Ananda, this is his genuine, undistorted, pure entry into emptiness, supreme and unsurpassed. Ananda, whatever summoners and Brahmins in the past, future or present, enter upon and abide in pure, supreme, unsurpassed emptiness, all enter upon and abide in this same pure, supreme, unsurpassed emptiness. Therefore, Ananda, you should train thus. We will enter upon and abide in pure, supreme, unsurpassed emptiness. That is what the Blessed One said. The Venerable Ananda was satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. This is an extensive teaching, you might have noticed, <laughs> with many aspects of meditation practice subsumed within it. As the aim of this section of the book is principally to explore some of the terrain and to map out the main characteristics of Nibbana, we will leave it to the final section on cultivation and fruition to describe the practical side of developing methods of meditation akin to that described here. So uh, that's uh, Ajahn Pasano's um, section of the book, um, the, the uh, last eight ch uh, chapters, the first 12 were mine and the last eight were, uh, are his, and uh, there's um, three chapters called Cultivation and Fruition, and so that in that he covers a lot of uh, different meditation practices. So I understand you know, that the, the language is a bit um, arcane, a bit hard to follow and mysterious, and uh, these talking about refined meditation states, but the general feel of uh, this kind of a, like a cascade of letting go, of... Um, the uh, <clears throat> letting go of the, of the uh, uh, recognizing the, the, the absence of people, absence of the forest, uh, bringing the attention to uh, the, the group of the Sangha that are there, and then to the earth element, and then letting go of the earth element, then to the quality of, of um, infinite space, and then the different um, refined qualities of meditation, then that um, animita, Cheto um, Samadhi, which is that um, in that previous reading, it was saying it's it's uh, aligned to Nipapancha, that the mind freeing freeing itself from complication, and also Atamayata, the, the mind freeing itself from from creating things. Atamayata literally means not made of that. So Atamayata is, Ajahn Buddhadasa said, it's like the the ultimate concept of you know, in, within Buddhism is the the, the um, the ultimate stage of, of, of insight, wisdom, is the tamayata, that uh, the mind is not creating subject and object, it's not um, reifying uh, uh, things in, in any way, so that, that there's this kind of um, steady sort of disengagement of the attention on things and say, well, what's present is this, it's this, it's this, to more and more refined levels. And then and over and over again, you have this phrase, that which you have, what, what remains is the body with its six senses and the life faculty. That's the framework for experience. Even these refined states of consciousness is happening with, within the, uh, the, um, the field of experience defined by this body, these senses, and the life faculty. Therefore, it's experienced like this. So that um, <clears throat> that, that quality of, a sort of increasing refinement, letting go uh, and seeing the empty nature of, of things, to uh, like a sort of Russian, the you know Russian doll with a matryoshka doll. Have you got any Russians here? Uh, is it matryoshka? Is that right? Yeah, 
with the you know the dolls inside 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 so like you have the kind of one layer upon another one layer upon another upon another upon another so that it's a, a shedding increasing um uh, degrees of realization and then that <coughs> that final level of uh, the animator letting go of of uh, of signs of uh, subject and object uh, the the development of that uh, perspective of atamayata, the mind not creating self or, or things, the subject and object, then that leads to the, the stopping of the outflows, the ending of the asavas. Um, and so and also you have this word disturbance which occurs over and over and over again. And so that it's like saying the as long as things are not empty, there's disturbing going on. And <laughs> there is a... a, a um, an agitation in the system and the more that the empty quality uh, of experience is realized then the less disturbance there is and uh, the so that the the final part of it is there's there is <clears throat> there is present only this non-emptiness that connected with the six sense bases that are dependent on this body and conditioned by life thus he regards it as empty of what is not there and what was to what remains he understands that which is present thus this is present and so, by the time it reaches that that there isn't even there's not even the disturbance of, of greed, hatred, delusion, the outflows of of sense desire, the outflow of becoming, the outflow of ignorance, then the Buddha then sort of changes the definition and says of the emptiness says, this is the genuine, undistorted, pure entry into emptiness, supreme and unsurpassed. This is the uh, from the you know, the Buddha's perspective, the the most uh, uh, sort of perfect and complete realization of of, uh, of emptiness so thoughts feelings perceptions questions a question about um, three of these words like every time the Buddha takes on a sign and then you have to acquire confidence I put the second word and then the a con- uh, confidence Steadiness and decision. How would you say that in in English? What yes. <laughs> <laughs> does it refer to? Well, it's just uh, he acquires confidence, steadiness, and decision. It's a yeah, it's a little bit of an unusual phrase. I think um, this is adapted from the translation of the Majima by Bikunyanamoli and Bikubodi, um, and I think in a way. Um, it would be more accurate to say decisiveness rather than decision. It's probably, yeah, like uh, Bhikkhu Nyanamoli was a very, very um, good with language and very accurate with his uh, terminology. And it might be that decision is, the word decision is used completely appropriately there. But it might be that um, it, uh, it's a, a, a use of the word or a way it's used that people don't really use nowadays. But confidence and steadiness, those are quite clear, I would have thought. Okay, this is what's going on, this is this is what's being done, this is the direction to head in. And so um so I think confidence and steadiness, so that there is that sadha, there's that, that faith and the kind of um uh say a um an attitude or a recognition of the the things are going in the right direction, 
that this is that there's faith that there's the wholesome direction is being given steadiness that that um, realization that quality is is well founded well grounded well established and then so I think if you change decision to decisiveness like uh, so that the the mind is like the opposite of doubt or wavering like oh, what should I do now is this is this nothingness or is this is this infinite space maybe it's infinite consciousness uh, I'm not sure <laughs> so yeah the mind gets caught in doubting so that uh, I think um, it'll be you can, I mean you, you, uh, I, I could look up the Pali but I think it, it um, the way I read it looking at it now and in the past I'm, I'm doing my own translation sort of internally to sort of decisiveness like, okay this is this is um, uh, uh, the sense of, of what's going on this is the, and this is the, the direction to give you know, a little bit to the left a little bit to the right you know, that sense of of uh, clarity about what's needed in terms of directing the, the effort. Does that make sense? Which you could research it. Yeah, yeah, which number was it again? 121. 121. 121 is Sutta 121. Confidence, steadiness, and decision. His mind enters into that perception of earth and acquires confidence, steadiness, and decision. So, yeah. Uh, um, as I said, Venerable Nyanamoli, he was a, a brilliant linguist. He uh, he was a student that uh, he, he never went to school. He was um, self-educated. He grew up in the Channel Islands, I think. In um, or the, I think he grew up in the, in the City Isles, and he never went to school. He did the entry exam for uh, Oxford University and passed. He did a triple major, so three major subjects. Uh, in two years, <laughs> hmm? so he was a smart fellow. I, I met somebody who was at university with him, a friend of Noy Thompson's, uh, many years ago, and he said anything that he wanted to do, he could he could put his mind to. He was. They went off for a a, a weekend sort of house party with some some friend who came from a stately home, and uh, he got interested in the gardeners trimming the the bushes into these different shapes called topiary. Like, Trimming bushes into like elephants and uh, urns and horses and whatnot, and so he's out there with the gardeners, learning how to 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 do topiary in the space of a weekend. He learned Turkish in six weeks because they were going to go on holiday there one summer. So he thought, well, we're going to go to Turkey. I should learn the language. So he learned Turkish in six weeks, <laughs> so that he'd be able to you know get a loaf of bread in a cafe and <laughs> order coffee and such like. So he was an amazing person, and, and if you look at his his works, uh, particularly Life of the Buddha, he uh, there's occasional words that you know, even those of us who read a lot and are familiar with English go, what? <laughs> what? What does that mean? But then you you look it up in a dictionary, and he goes, oh, right, that's exactly the right word. Of course, you know, other people can't necessarily understand it, but it was uh, it's sort of very thoughtfully chosen. And uh, so he, you know, he uh, I, I suspect that that's a, a usage of the word. But nowadays we'd say more like decisiveness would be more appropriate. Okay, well it's gone past seven again, so let's leave it there for today. <laughs>